0: Well oh, man, it's, uh, it's good to see you all today. If you're a guest, and you're sitting in the backyard, and you're a guest, and uh, I'm David. I'm the pastor, so we're glad you're here. You're welcome to about anything we have going on. There's a guy whose name is Paul David Houston. He, uh, he is a tremendously active and involved humanitarian. He does stuff all over the world. Uh, he probably does more, maybe, than any single person in the world, just from a humanitarian standpoint. You probably don't know who he is, so I'm going to put his picture up on the screen so you'll right, recognize him. He doesn't go by Paul David, by the way. He goes by the name Bono. And Bono is the lead singer and frontman of the rock group U2. Uh, I am not a big U2 guy. I am more of an Eagle Skinner guy. But uh, I appreciate everything he does. And part of the reason I appreciate so much what he does is that he does his works because of his faith in Christ. He is a man who is actively professes his faith in Jesus. And I really, I really appreciate that part of him. And uh, he, he's a guy that does so much stuff all over the world. He's also a guy that not only uh, does those things, but he's one of the most quoted and quotable guys. And so I want to share some of the things that he has said. I think they're a little bit fascinating. I am a friend to God, a sworn enemy of the saccharine, and a believer in grace over karma. He also said this: "I'd be in deep trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins to the cross, because I know who I am, and I'm hoping I don't have to depend on my own religiosity." And this third quote, which is tremendous, considering, especially he's not a preacher, you would think this would come from somebody like that, the most powerful idea that's entered the world. In the last few thousand years, the idea of grace is the reason I would like to be a Christian. And notice all three of those quotes have something in common. It's the concept, the idea of grace. The idea of God visiting us, giving us whatever in grace. Now, we're in a sermon series this month about grace, God's response to sin. And in the course of this month, what we're going to do is look at grace, and I'm I'm going to share, the first couple of messages are taken from the letters, of, a couple of letters that Paul wrote, and they lay kind of a teaching, kind of, we must say, a doctrinal aspect to grace. Then the last two messages really deal with examples of grace accruing in Paul's, Paul's life. And uh, to fully, to fully uh, grasp this, we're going to start today in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23, in a sermon entitled, uh, As Bad As It Gets, The Terribleness of Sin, because sin, We've got to understand something about sin to begin to understand grace. Now, normally at this point, I read you know, the passage and then explain it in my sermon. But I'm going to take it verse by verse, kind of like I do on Wednesday nights. But here's what I want you to see about uh, the message today. Here's what I want you to get out of it. To understand grace, we need to understand how God views sin. To really understand grace, we need to understand how God looks at, how he views our sin and so what I'm going to do is to start this series off with kind of a definition of grace now when I grew up you know in church and I grew up in Sunday school and when they gave us the definition of grace it was always God's unmerited favor you know I'm like I don't know what the word unmerited means and I wasn't really sure about favor as I got older I figured it out but let me just give you what really is I think a good definition of grace and here it goes Grace is the gift of God. It's the gift of God as expressed in his actions, his actions, manner of extending mercy, loving kindness, and salvation to people instead of condemnation and judgment. He gives mercy, love, salvation. He doesn't give condemnation and judgment, which is deserved. That, in essence, is grace. Now, Paul come to Paul today, and if anybody understood grace, it's Paul. When we, when we meet Paul, it's through the book of Acts. And when we meet Paul, Paul, Paul basically is a guy trying to kill Christians. And that's Paul. He's persecuting Christians. He's, he's a killer of Christians. That's who Paul is. And, and that's what Paul's doing when we see Paul meet Jesus on the road to persecuting Christians. He encounters Jesus. And Jesus forever changes his, his life. And so Paul goes on to be this great apostle who writes so many of these letters and shapes our thought of how we believe and think about Jesus. Now, one of the letters he wrote, the book of Romans, which is where we're going to be today, and I did a study on Wednesday nights in Romans last year, but he had never been to Rome, and he kind of wanted to write this letter and tell him he's trying to get there, he's trying to come, and he kind of lays out some things about what, what he understands and believes, and Paul spends a great deal of time on a theme that really is the the main theme in the book of Romans, and it's the idea that we are justified or declared white by God through Jesus. So our understanding of the the hugely important doctrine called justification is found in the book of Romans. Now, to understand that, he deals a lot with grace, and in dealing with grace, he deals a lot with sin. In fact, chapter 1, verse 18, which we'll see in a few minutes, through the end of chapter 3, Paul deals with sin. The sin of the Gentiles and the sin of the Jews because that church was made up of people with Jewish and Gentile backgrounds. And he's saying all of y'all were sinners at one time. Now, he begins uh, before, right before verse 18. He, he gives kind of what is really the, the basis of his letter. Paul in verse 5 reminds everyone that it was by grace through Jesus that so we have received grace through Jesus. That's the way we receive grace. And then and he goes on in verse 16 and 17 and he lays kind of the foundation of the whole book. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the salvation to everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the the gospel at all. It's the power power of salvation to all who believe. And then he says, for in it a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness from faith to faith, faith first to last. And he says to us, the righteous person, the just person lives by faith. Then towards the end of chapter 3 in dealing with sin, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Now, most people who grow up in church kind of know this verse. For all have sinned and fall short, short of the glory of God. So, in between these two powerful passages, he talks about sin and lays out the foundation, the reason, the rationale behind why we need grace. And so, verse 18, this is what it says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the... Godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, today I'm reading from the New International Version. Normally, I do New American Standard, but the NIV today. Now, it says the wrath of God. Now, in the Greek, the phrase wrath of God isn't the first part of that sentence. The sentence begins with the word revealed. Something is revealed. That's the emphasis. The word revealed in the Greek is the word apocalypse. In the end of the Bible. In the New Testament, there's the book of Revelation. It is the book of the Apocalypse. The idea of revealing is to make something known to us. So what what Paul is saying is that God has made something known. It's his wrath. Now, we're going to come back to wrath in a minute. But he talks about why wrath is needed. It's godlessness and wickedness of men. Now, the word godless or ungodly, if you have the New American Standard, speaks of sin that is against God. Wickedness or unrighteousness speaks of sin that is directed towards other people, humans. Jesus tells us that we must love God and love other people. But godlessness would so be ungodly is a lack of love or devotion towards God. It's a lack of commitment to God. It could be seen in not believing in God... It could be seen in not worshipping God, worshipping God improperly, worshipping someone other or something other than God. It could be seen in indifference to God. Anything that falls short in your relationship with God. Wickedness is sin that is directed towards other humans. So it's the idea of the morality that goes with when we sin against other people. It says all of that sin, what it is, it is the suppressing or the putting down of truth. Through their wickedness. Now, the putting down of truth, the truth is what God reveals. So, something like this. God reveals stuff to us about himself. And in our godlessness and wickedness, we reject that truth. Because of that, we experience, then, the wrath of God. Now, we struggle with the idea of wrath of God. I get that. But that's because we think of wrath the wrong way. We think of wrath as human wrath. Human wrath is kind of a vengeance kind of a, a mean-spirited, it's an anger that you want to pay someone back for something. I mean, that's, that's our idea of wrath. My generation, there was a Star Trek movie called The Wrath of Khan. You know, you talk about don't incur someone's wrath. I mean, it's kind of give you an illustration this way. And I don't know if this ever applies to you, but let's just say you're going down the road. And you're driving 40, which is pretty close to the speed limit. And... Someone comes up to a stop sign. and They don't stop. They just run that stop sign and pull right out in front of you going about 20 miles an hour. So what do you do? I I wouldn't do this, but you might do this. You might swerve around that car, gun it, get in front of that other car, cut them off, and slam your brakes on in front of them. Why? Because you're angry. You want to pay them back, make them feel that wrath that goes on. That's kind of what we're filled with. It's this idea that if someone does something to us, we're going to get them back. That's not what that word wrath means at all. It comes from a Greek word, orge. And the word orge means to slowly simmer to the idea of you get to a point of boiling over. It's a, it has to do with patience. Put it to you this way. Um, if you were to take a pot of water and to boil it, and boiling point, I believe, is degree, 212 degrees. Is that correct? I think so. I... I Took that class in science three times. I think I got that, that part right. So you put it on 220, 221, whatever it takes. And, you know, it's kind of, and just let it slowly, slowly heat up and very slowly boil over. That's the idea of wrath. It is a very patient thing. It's not something that just God strikes out. God patiently deals with sin. But wrath is important. Because wrath is part of the holiness of God. It's how holy God deals with sin. He has to deal with sin. He can't let sin go. So God is holy. To be perfect, complete, he lacks nothing. And nothing that is sinful can come into his presence. So when we sin, when we're involved in wickedness, godlessness, he has to deal with that. And he will deal with that. That's part of wrath. Wrath is not the opposite of love. Wrath is the opposite of indifference. It is part of the love of God. And it matters to God. Sometimes what we have to realize is what God's wrath is and what it involves is allowing us to experience the consequences of our sin. In other words, sometimes God lets sin take its course so that we can understand how bad and evil and wicked sin really is. We experience that, and that is part of the wrath of God. Sometimes people will say, why doesn't God do something about evil? Well, he does. Sometimes he allows evil to take its course, so we experience the pain of what we have done, so that we will learn why evil is evil, and, and it's opposed to what God does. J.C.F. Schiller says, that the history of man is the judgment of man. God gives us over. Think about it this way. We're, we're, as humans, we're always talking about, you know, we, we, want, we want the freedom to live our life however we want, you know. People come up and say, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to follow a bunch of rules and res- regulations. I just want freedom. The truth of the matter is, God has given us a great deal of freedom. He has given us the freedom to make choices. Now, sometimes people talk about free will. I am not comfortable with that. I don't think it's really a solid biblical idea, Because most people, when they talk about free will, they mean that they have the the will to decide whatever they're going to do. They can decide to come to God whenever they want. They can decide not to come to God. It's all up to them. And if you're careful, nowhere does it ever teach us in Scripture that we have the freedom to decide when and where we come to God. (laughs) In fact, Paul is one of those guys that's very careful to tell us it is God who chooses us. Freedom that we have, biblically speaking, from the standpoint of God revealing himself to us, it's the freedom that we take to reject God. He gives us that freedom. Part of giving us that freedom is to allow us to deal with that. In other words, we want to tell God, give us the freedom to make choices, but when those choices turn out to be bad, don't let bad things happen to us. We want it both ways. God said it didn't work that way. If you want to rebel against me, if you want to be ungodly, if you want to be wicked, here's the result of that. In fact, it tells us in this passage, right after we would get through with our part, starting in verse 24, verse 26, verse 28, that God gives us over to our sin. In verse 24, it says, God gives us over to the lust of our heart. Verse 26, God gives us over to the degrading things of our passions. Verse 28, God gives us over to the depravity of our mind. Our heart, our passions, our mind, all good things, until they become full of lust degradation, depravity. He lets us have what we ask for. And in that, the wrath of God. Now, it's working towards a point when God deals with all of it in judgment. That is the wrath of God. Now, verse 19 says this. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain, God has revealed to them, God has revealed himself to them, but they have acted. Mankind, we have acted in godlessness and wickedness, even though God has made plain to us all these things. Verse 20 says this, For since the creation of the world, since God created the world, his invisible qualities, specifically his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, we are, as men, are without excuse. So God has revealed himself to us in what he has created. We call that general revelation. In a general way, we can look and see that God has, has revealed who he is to us. Now, I, I, don't, I don't have time to talk about, I, I know people who, who are atheists and agnostic, and there's you know, you know, I, I, evolution that denies creation. I get all that. I'm just telling you, this is what Paul says. Now, let me tell you about Paul. Paul's one of the most brilliant men that ever lived. I, I'm going to say this. there was not a human being alive who has done more to shape the world than Paul. He is probably smarter than anyone that exists today. I'm not talking about IQ. I'm just talking about in the whole way that he sees the world. Western civilization exists the way it does because of the things that Paul wrote. It shaped the world around him. The entire world is shaped by Western civilization. If you don't understand that, do some research. Paul is this brilliant guy. And Paul was no man, he was not a superstitious guy. Paul was very logical. Paul understood you know, Greek philosophy. You know, some think Paul might have even been a bit of a stoic. He was a very fact-oriented, a very rational guy. And this is what Paul says: God has revealed himself to us. We can see what he's done. It's like if I take a bring a painting in here, you know, and I say, I have this nice little painting. You can look at it. You know someone painted it. You don't know who did it. You can say, oh, no, someone painted that. I mean, we know that the canvas doesn't work itself around the frame. We know that someone had to make the paints up to put on them. I mean, it's not like we walk out in the desert and say, hey, there's a pool of blue paint just bubbling up. And over there, there's a spring of red paint running. We know people make that stuff up. And that's the way it is. And so if, if we had several different paintings by the same author, I mean, same artist. We may not know who the artist is, but we begin to understand something about them generally. God has revealed himself to us. We are without excuse. His power, his nature have been seen. Verse 21 then says this, For although they knew God, they knew him, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile or confused. And their foolish hearts were darkened, were ignorant. So, they didn't give glory to God. Now, we say all the time, if you come to this church much at all, here's what you know. We talk all the time about giving glory to God, giving glory to God. When I pray, I'm almost always going to pray something about giving glory to God. The purpose of this message is to give glory to God. When Brian put together the, the worship set with music, it was to bring glory to God. We constantly talk about bringing glory to God and helping people come to faith in Christ. And the main way we glorify God is through faith in Jesus. We talk about that all the time. The purpose of humans, we exist to glorify God. And it says they didn't give Him glory. They didn't even thank Him for anything. Verse 22 says this. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and notice they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made. They made them to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. God created everything. They took what God created and fashioned little gods from it, little idols, and they worshiped them. How dumb is that? They take a piece of wood, make an idol. I got wood in my backyard, man. I got a tree. Cut that tree down, make an idol. I got firewood. Take that firewood make it on. I have a little do- couple of dogs. My little dog, Finn, loves to chew wood, man. He goes, and he finds that firewood, and he breaks pieces off and brings it in the house, and he tries to hide it from me and chews on that thing. You know, he just loves, I find wood all over the place, man. You know what Finn also likes to do? He likes to take that tree in the backyard. You know what he likes to do on that tree? That's right. He pees on that tree. I'll tell you something. If my dog, Finn, can take your God and chew on it and pee on it and ain't much of a God. I mean, it's just not. That's how ridiculous this is. So Paul is saying to us, he's reminding us, look at what we have done. So here's the thing. We are sinners against God. We've got to understand that. The basis for anything, before you go on with grace, before you go on with salvation, is to understand we are sinners who have sinned against God. Whether we like it or not, and we agree with it or not. So let me summarize it this way. Let me summarize Paul, what he's saying. Kind of a little logical argument. And here it is. God has revealed himself to us. We have rejected that revelation. God holds us accountable. God reveals himself. we reject it. God holds us accountable anyways. Whether we like that or not. That's what Paul is saying. So that, here's the thing that we can begin to see. What you have here in this passage then is the beginning of our understanding of grace that we are in rebellion against God. Before you can understand grace, you've got to get this. This is the beginning of grace, beginning of salvation. We rebel against God. We may not like that idea. We may have a problem with that idea. We may not think that's what we want it to be, but that's the way that it is. We are in rebellion. So I'm going to go back to the definition of grace and put it back up here. Here what it is. Grace then is the gift. By the way, the idea of gift in the New Testament comes from the same word as grace. Grace is the grace of God. He expresses that to us in action: mercy, love, and salvation. Instead of judgment and condemnation. Now we may say, but why should we be judged and condemned? Because we've rebelled against God. That's the consequences. A lot of you are parents or you've been parents, or maybe you will be parents. Think about what I said earlier. God reveals himself to us. We reject that revelation. He goes, us accountable. Don't you do that with your kids? You say to your kids, this is what I want you to do. And they say, no. Don't you hold them accountable? Of course you do. Because if you don't hold your kids accountable, they're going to be rotten kids. And they're going to grow up to be rotten adults. In fact, part of the reason we have some rotten adults now is because their parents didn't do a good job of holding them accountable. Holding someone accountable is part of human life. We know that because God does that to us. God does hold us accountable. But he holds off the judgment and condemnation. It's what we deserve, but he holds it off. Wrath is patient. God allows time for grace to be a part of our life. That's what he does. Think a minute. When when I I quoted earlier from Bono, this is what Bono said, if you remember. He said, I don't want to rely on the judgment of karma. He goes, I I want to hold out for grace, 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 grace. You hear a lot about karma today. In fact, I I find it sad that I hear Christians talking about karma. Every time I hear a Christian talk about karma, I just want to slap them. I do. Say, hey, pastor, what do you think about karma? Bam, bam, bam. Karma is as unchristian a concept as you can imagine. It's based on Eastern mystical religious beliefs. It's an Eastern mystical philosophy. It is tied to a cyclical view of the world where everything is held in proportion. It is the basis for an understanding of reincarnation that we would completely reject. It sounds on the surface okay, because it sounds like, well, if you do something you know, bad, something bad will happen to you. But understand, people who come up, you know, karma comes from philosophy that has no place of sin. It just has an idea of things being in balance and harmony. There's things that are good, there's things that are not good. But if you do something good, there's a proportion that happens to you in relationship to that that is equal. Put it you this way. If you do something good that has a value of five, then karma says that there will be a reaction to that that has a value of five. If you do something evil or wrong that has a value of five, then there'll be something that happens to you that's a value of five. In other words, there is this proportionality that keeps things in balance with the universe of good and evil. That is nothing like what you see in scripture. We believe we have a linear view of life. We believe there's a beginning and there's an end. It's progressive. Life is not in proportion. Life progresses. And, you know, Christianity, in fact, Judaism and Islam lead the same way because we have a monotheistic God. Our understanding is life progresses to an inevitable end. If you rebel against God, you're going to meet an end that has nothing to do with proportionality, but it's the progress of sin to God judging it. Grace has nothing to do with things being proportional. Grace is a point of progress where you get what you don't deserve far outweighing that. God blesses you. In a way you cannot understand. There is no balance to that. There is no proportionality to that. It is completely undeserved. Grace is completely out of balance with your sin. That's the beauty of grace. So Paul can write in Romans 5.8. God shows his great love for us. While we were still in the process of sinning. We're sinning against God. God. He shows His love and that Christ Jesus dies for us. That's grace. We're sinning against God. They sinned against God when they killed Jesus. That's grace. Romans 6.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says this, The wages of that sin is death. Put this way, the karma of sin, the wage of sin, the proportionality of sin would be death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The gift of God is eternal life. Romans 3.23 says we all sin. Romans 6.23 says the result of that sin should be death, but God has a gift for us. It's eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is grace. But to understand grace is to understand sin. So here's the thing. We need to recognize that we have sinned against God. And we need to recognize that God will forgive us in Christ. Recognize you've sinned against God. And then we've got to recognize that Christ will, for, God will forgive us of that sin. That horrible, horrific sin because of Jesus. And that is what we need to grasp. And that is the beginning of what grace is. The beginning of grace is understanding we've rebelled against the Lord. And what we deserve for that rebellion is the absolute wrath of God. But in that wrath, there is a point of time, a place in time, where we can experience something other than judgment and condemnation. Through the power of God, we can experience grace. And that's what we want. That's what we need is grace. I'm gonna put one more quote. From Bono up there. Some people, preachers will quote, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis. Some will quote Sturgeon. I quote rock Stars, So here we go. This is amazing since it came from this. Uh, it's just an amazing quote. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world. Look yeah, The point of the death of Christ is he took on the sins of the world so that what we put out did not come back to us. And that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. That, my friend, is grace. And we need grace. Some of you need to experience the grace of God. Because you have rebelled against Him. And you cannot do anything on your own about that rebellion. You need to experience today the forgiveness. Those words, mercy. Love, salvation, they're available in the grace of God. Paul says, for by grace are you saved, but it's through faith. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, so no one will boast. For by grace are you saved through faith. Today you have the opportunity to, in faith, experience the grace that God has to forgive you of that sin. In just a moment, there will be some people up here, and you can come say, I want to experience the grace of God Help me to do that. A lot of you are already fathers of Christ. When was the last time you just thanked God for grace? When was the last time you glorified him for the grace that you have that you don't deserve? Maybe today you just need to praise God and thank him as we sing a beautiful song. and Just say, God, I want to thank you. Because I don't deserve grace. You may be a father of Christ and you're not living like it. You live more like the, the ungodly and the wicked you've already experienced the salvation of grace, but you need the renewal that also comes with grace. And maybe today in our invitation time, you just say, God, I have strayed from the path that you would lead me down. And by grace, I know you'll get me there. I need your grace right now to forgive me. Listen, I don't know what you need to do today, but I advise you to do this. Walk out of here today having experienced not what you deserve, but experiencing the grace of God. Father, praise you. Praise you for what we see in Christ Jesus. Paul lays it out. We're sinners, and we've we, we got the wrath coming. We got that. We deserve it. It's ours. But we don't want what we deserve, God. We're asking you to give us what we don't deserve. We're asking for forgiveness. We're asking for love. We're asking for salvation. God, we're asking you to give us grace. And give us the faith to take that grace. So right now, Lord, whatever the needs may be, and whatever the hurt may be, and whatever the pain may be, I just ask in the name of Christ and by the wonderful power of the Holy Spirit, for your glory, God, for your glory. Visit us with grace. And let us come and respond to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.